everyone. I'm Tina with Bible Ask, and we're here for another episode of our bi-weekly um, Bible answer question, um, question answer session. And I'm here with my friends, Jay and Wendy. We're so happy that you guys are both back. Thank God. <laughs> uh, Jay is recovering, and so we're just so thankful that God's been blessing him. And we're so grateful for Wendy as well to be here. Um, and today we have some really good questions that we've gotten from some viewers. And so we're super excited to be able to answer them today. So I will let my friend Wendy go ahead and begin with some questions. Thank you, Tina. And, and Happy New Year to everybody. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and get the first question up here. All right. So this question is from Patricia. What real time of the year was Jesus's birth? And why do we celebrate the 25th of December as his birthday? Who wants to take this? So, Tina, <laughs> do you have verse handy? Or how about you pull up the verses while I just played a little bit? Well, so, or, or I, I don't have a verse. So there, that's my answer, basically, <laughs> in essence. But did you want to say something first? I... So, I mean, the, like, for example, I think Matthew is a key to this one in part. So if you pull up um, the shepherds in the fields, mm, yeah. um, if it was winter time, they would not be out in the fields with their sheep. A lot of people will tell you that. And um, there's other clues and things we have that if you... Um, there's actually a time prophecy in Daniel as to when Jesus mm. would come around. Um, and if you backtrack and all that, you also end up with Jesus being born around the fall time. And then there's other clues as to when uh, Jesus was circumcised, things like that. So if you go through, look at all the events and you carefully look it out, you end up with Jesus being born somewhere within September or October, most likely. Which is really fascinating. It puts his birth around the time of the Day of Atonement. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, if I, he was baptized around his Day of Atonement, that would make it really fascinating, too. Yeah, no, that's a so, really good point. Um, then I was going to say, why do we... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was say, so the I'm second gonna, part of the question, then, is why do we celebrate the 25th of December as his birthday? That's a great question. And um, just to kind of also support what kind of Jay was saying as well, um, yeah, they suspect that his birthday was around early mid-October is the best guess that I've heard. And again, that tends to somewhat coincide with um, the Day of Atonement, which again is super fascinating because that means that was the end of the Jewish calendar and the beginning of a new Jewish year. And so it was a time to put away um, sin and start new. And so that's the whole purpose of Jesus's life was, um, as it says in Matthew chapter one, I believe verse 21, it says, and you you shall call his name Jesus for they, he shall save his people from their sins. And so that was just kind of a beautiful thing, but I agree. Definitely. Um, his birthday was based on those biblical clues sometime in the fall, but why do we celebrate on December 25th is a whole nother question. Um, do you mind if I give a little bit of some history there? Go for it. Yeah, go for it. So my understanding is, um, in the early Christian church, some things got a little bit mixed up um, as far as some holidays getting mixed with some pagan holidays. And so not saying you can't celebrate Christmas on December 25th. I mean, I celebrate 
Christmas on December 25th. I love it. Um, do I think that Jesus was necessarily born that day? No, but I think it's a beautiful time of year where people are open to spiritual things. And I think it's a good time to remember the coming of Christ and the wonderful sacrifice of his coming to earth. Um, however, the December 25th, um, my understanding is there's, um, it, <laughs> there's a, a mythological story of the sun God being born having a son on December 25th because it's the winter winter solstice solstice. And so because of that, um, it's actually a celebration of the, a false God, a son of a false God being born. And so, yeah, cause I think December 21 is the shortest day of the year. So in the pagan culture, the sun is shrinking and at its minimum. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I guess you add like three and a half days and now you end up to a rebirth of the sun, which is fascinating. Yeah, which is, that is very interesting. So I believe the name of the god was Tammuz, if I'm not mistaken, that was supposedly born December 25th. And so um, mm. in early Christianity, a lot of stories um, to reach pagans, certain denominations mixed Christian values or Christian beliefs with some pagan stories to kind of help the pagans convert. And so I believe that was just kind of one of the meldings um, that kind of happened. Um, you see that with the story of Easter. It's Easter is Eshtar, which is, you know, the god of um, fertility. That's why you celebrate East, people celebrate Easter with bunnies and eggs and chickens or baby chicks and stuff because it's fertility. Um, it has nothing to do with Jesus's resurrection. So it's just kind of so, these weird blendings that kind of happened over the years. Um, but I got an interesting one too, though. So mm -hmm. if Jesus was born end of this uh, end of September, early October. So let's say end of September, you go add three months. You get to September, you get to December, the end of the, the end of December, sorry. Which then some people would say Jesus may have been conceived on December 25th. Mm. Now there's mm -hmm. absolutely no biblical basis for that. But, I mean, it would be around this time of year that Jesus would have been conceived within Mary. Yeah. But, but still, I mean, it's, I mean, it's an interesting thought, but clearly the Bible didn't give us a specific day, didn't tell us keep that day. There mm -hmm. are other days that the Bible says are more meaningful that really should be more maybe on our thoughts. Amen. Yeah, like the day God said to remember. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, number four. <laughs> so yeah and i think too sometimes like we kind of touched on this at our last show um it, somebody asked if jesus had any siblings and you know we were not 100 percent sure as to you know the blood relationship of them or not because there's certain things that we just don't need to focus on and if it's not you know helping us in our become more like christ um, we don't really need to worry about it. Like it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, you know, the things which the Lord has revealed belong to us and our children forever um, so that we can keep all the words of this law. And so if it's not helping us keep God's law or helping us keep God's word or, you know, share the gospel, live a Christ-like life, we don't need to worry about it so much. It's my take on it, at least. Mm -hmm. So uh, we do have a comment that came in uh, regarding our uh Regarding the pagan gods, maybe uh, we could put that comment up from Michael Soto. And he says that um, the pagan god Mithra was born on the 25th. So 
Uh, and our calendar today actually is very much based on the Roman calendar. So that's probably very plausible. So and he's yeah. probably right. So thank you, Michael. And uh, I know Michael actually, he knows a lot of uh, Bible facts. So mm -hmm. um, I'm glad he's here and can help us answer other questions. Great. Any other comments on that one? Or shall we get the next question up? I'm good All right, to go. let's... Next question. Uh, Roger is asking, who are the Anakims referred to in Joshua 11.21? And can we maybe get Joshua 11.21 up here so we know what we are referring to? Okay, who wants to take this one? <laughs> Always the fun one. <laughs> uh, I don't mind unless, Jay, you want to jump in or do you want to go first? No, go ahead and read it and uh, I'll have some other Bible verses ready for us. All right, I'll go ahead and read that. It says, and at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims, excuse me, from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. So question is, who are these people? So they actually appear first in the Bible in the book of Numbers, Numbers 13. And maybe we could get that verse up too. So it'll be from Numbers chapter 13 and there'll be several verses within there to tell us a little bit about these people. Um, the first reference is in verse 22, and it refers to these people as the children of Anak. So there originally was a person called Anak, and then these people would be his descendants. And um, we're told that, you know, they would have been in this land of Canaan area as inhabitants of it. They were a very strong people. And we see in Numbers 30, 13, verse 33, that they were giants. They were giants, the sons of Anak. And uh, the, the spies of the Israelites who went in to look at the land of Canaan before they went in saw these people and they freaked out. And the sons of Anak were actually part of the people who uh, really caused the Israelites to lose heart, doubt God, and because of their doubt and because of the murmuring, the Israelites ended up not being able to go into the land of Canaan. And an entire I should say entire generation, all those who murmured, died. And then their children later entered. So they were big, tall people. And I think some people try to say that these might be a continuation of the Nephilim. You know, where some people misread Nephilim to mean, um, you know, a race of super beings that are a mix of uh human and like angels or you know, demons um but there's no biblical basis for that whatsoever um and nephilim itself actually means giants you know that you read earlier in genesis so again maybe maybe the giant genes pass on through some of noah's descendants right and then we see some of that coming back with the the and the sons of anik um, I mean, we had, we know some Philistines were really tall, so it wasn't exceptional to have tall people even during these biblical times, mm -hmm. at least some, some giants. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Any other comments on that one, Tina? No, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I don't know if this, I guess I, I want to make sure I, I touch everything that the, the question, the person asking the question is um, asking about, I mean, I know he's saying, um, you know, who, who are these people? Uh, I guess my thought is like, why would God want, or why would they be utterly destroyed? Um, and so I guess my thought is just, obviously, if these people were <laughs> not welcoming to the Israelites, if they were a threat to them, if they were, you know, a dangerous people uh, who are, you know, only going to cause violence and, um, you know, suffering, um, if that's their nature, that's their way, that's, you know, who they are, like the Amalekites, um, or, uh, you know, those people who, when God's people were going into the land of Canaan, there were certain groups of people that were um, only seeking to cause harm to God's people. And so, um, you know, just it, when a lot of times people, they ask like, why would God tell his people to wipe out a people group? You know, that seems horrible. Um, but when you know kind of the history of these people, um, and I don't know if they were uh, worshipers of Baal, I know that that's, that tends to be more like the reason why a people group was asked to be wiped out is because they were worshipers of Baal and the worshipers of Baal would um, murder their babies and cause God's people to practice this evil pr practice. And you read about it in the book of Isaiah where God's like, I never asked you to do such a thing. Why would I ask you to, you know, sacrifice your children in fire? Like that's horrible. And so, um, to get rid of these practices because it was so ingrained in the culture of these people groups, God ha had to just say, we have to wipe out this culture. Not that God doesn't love them. He does, but they were, they were beyond the point of, um, of repentance. And they were just, just being so ingrained in this, um, these evil practices. So I think this is actually set a stage for a yes. set of questions that are going to have us dig diaper net, dig diver, dive deeper into really you know why does god destroy people and how yeah. can he be a good god so um maybe that could go to our next question yeah let's bring that next one up all right so this is a three-part question uh from melissa and i'll go ahead and read all three but then we'll we'll dive into them one at a time so the first one is why does God murder the entire planet except for one family in a boat? Okay, that's clearly uh, referring to the flood and, Noah. um, and Noah's family. Next question is, why does God use Assyria to punish Israel when Israel has done things God's unhappy with, but then turn around and punish Assyria for being wicked to Israel? And then... The last question is, do the stark differences between the underlying attitudes and motives of the Old Testament version of God and the New Testament version of God ever strike you? And if so, what do you do to reconcile them to yourself? So there's kind of a, a trend here that I'm seeing of uh, it, it, this idea that the God of the Old Testament is kind of a evil, vengeful God and a... Um, you know, overbearing God and and the God of the New Testament is this loving, uh, fuzzy wuzzy, soft and comfy kind of God, um, and that's you know that's certainly uh, held by a lot of people. So let's 
dive in with the first question first. Why does God murder the entire planet except for one family in a boat? So, can I take this one? Sure. I just have one verse, but you probably are going to bring it up. So, (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead and start with your verse. It's always going to start with a verse. That's true. God is good. So, we we love his word. Um, So, the verse, obviously, that I was going to go to is Genesis 6, 5. Um which simply states, let me just go ahead and read it for you. Um, Genesis 6 verse 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the state of the entire world, besides Noah and his family, was only wickedness. There was no good in, in the people. And the Bible talks about the violence of these people. They were violent. I don't want to say horrible, but very violent people. Like they were not, there was no mercy. There was no love of God in them whatsoever. So I imagine everybody around probably having their stuff being stolen, their stuff being vandalized and just daughters being raped. I mean, just probably everything going on and they don't think anything about it. Exactly. And, and it's just they're just thinking evil all the time too, right? Not even just not, they're not just doing bad stuff all the time, just only thinking bad. Yeah. So it was never like there's never a thought of like, oh, I should stop doing this. I need to think to repent. No, there was no room for repentance in their mind, in their heart whatsoever. There was they were beyond um, repentance. So I, God will always wait for us. Like it says in second Peter chapter three, that God is long suffering. That's why he hasn't come yet. That God is long suffering that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Like that's always God's plan is for us to repent and come back to him. But when we cross that point of no return, that's when God says, look, I have to put an end to this suffering because I'm not going to just let people suffer needlessly. If if there's going to be suffering, it has to have purpose. It has to be to work out something for good. Um, as much as suffering is terrible, like we see Jesus suffering on the cross, but there is something beautiful that came out of it. Um, but the suffering that was going on in the time of Noah, there was nothing good that could come out of um, people just being, yeah. you know, and hurt around around them. And then I think there's a couple more things that even in the the next verse, Mm -hmm. um, it says, you know, basically God regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Yeah. Like God is not happy about what he's going to have to do next. It's Mm -hmm. not like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, wipe out these evil people. Oh, I just can't. Mm -hmm. No, he is so sad at the state of things that he basically feels like he has no choice. I am so sad about, I, I have all these people here that I have to destroy, but they're so bad. Um, you know, and, and I think a good example of this is, and, and talk about following up on what you're saying, Tina, was, um, do you remember the, the movie Old Yeller? Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, that's you're going to break my heart. Oh. <laughs> uh, Right, but good, but this is how God feels, right? Because what's the ending, right? I mean, the dog saves the family, yeah. but then he ends up getting rabies and Old Yeller starts going crazy. And if Old Yeller is released, he would chew up the family, kill the kids. He would, uh, you know, once he has those rabies, he's gone. The Old Yeller is, is no more. And so ends with the dad having to 
shoot old yeller put him down like he was loved it was an act of love because the father knew you know what made yeller good is now gone yeah there's no hope he's not coming back and the other thing was to protect his family yeah and, and oh, sorry I was going to say, and the dog was suffering. Like the dog, there was no cure for rabies at that time. And there was no, you know, there was no remedy. And the dog would just continue to suffer a horrible, painful death. It was an act of mercy to put down that dog. And I, so I see the point that you're making. Sorry, just to yeah. add that. No, no. And that's a good point too. It really is. There is a part of suffering uh, that comes with sin. And, um, I think the the next point I want to make, and uh, we actually have a comment from Landon Wagstaff that touches exactly on what I want to uh, bring up too. Like God hasn't murdered anyone. Yes. <laughs> you know, like it, the the question implies something that's not there. Yeah. Like, you know, when you think of murder, you think someone's going to come up and you know, boom, stab you in the back. But mm -hmm. what do we really have here? God. Um, if we go back to uh, Genesis 6, verse 3, it says, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal or corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. Some people read it as God says their lifespan will be 120 years. But actually, um, a good interpretation of this is God has now said, In 120 years, I'm going to bring an end to this earth. Or, or you know, as it is. And, mm -hmm. and basically says um, the flood is going to come. Yeah. And we actually have a clue that the flood was going to come even way earlier than that. And in fact, Enoch may have been the first to know more than a thousand years before that, that there was going to be a flood because mm -hmm. his son was named Methuselah, which yeah. means, well, what does it mean? His death shall bring. Yeah. Or when he dies, it shall come. Yeah. Something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people knew that this oldest man who was, you know, lived longer than anybody else. He's almost a thousand years old. I mean, he's got to be famous. He, you know, pray, you know, we, we keep track of the Guinness Book of World Records, right? We know who's the oldest person right now. Everybody knew Methuselah. They knew what his name meant, and they probably knew something big was going to happen if he uh, passed away. So he died shortly before the flood. Mm -hmm. yeah. So people know he's coming up to something. Um, and then Noah actually spent about 100 years building the ark. Could have been a little bit less, uh, but he spent about 100 years. This boat is gigantic. Nobody's ever seen a need for it. You know, he's telling people there's going to be rain, people are laughing at him, but the boat was big enough so that other people could have come on. Yeah. And so yeah. I, think, I think you could say Enoch, probably Methuselah, a lot of these people were giving warnings, and then for sure with Noah, he's giving warnings. So... It's not that God murdered everybody. God wanted everybody in the ark. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But only eight people chose to get in. Exactly. And and that ark still symbolizes Christ today. And, you know, if we don't put our trust in Christ, relying on Christ, we're not going to su survive the upcoming judgment, too, when people will be finally destroyed. The, the, the time of trouble and all everything that's... Oh, I mean, I'm talking about you know after the 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 judgment when when uh, the wicked are judged. Yeah, and and that's how much time to, did sorry. God and effort did God put into trying to reach these people? Does the, the pre-flood people? Yeah, that, before yeah. before this the flood occurred, before 
Um, well, that's what I'm saying. It was almost potentially a thousand years. Yeah, he was warning them. And and how, what is there some indications of of how he warned them or how he was trying to warn them? So I I understand that. I mean, Noah and his sons building the ark was a living, you know, gospel or you know, preaching to the people the entire time they're building this boat. They're saying, you know, a flood's coming. You need to be getting ready for it. And, you know, obviously the building of the ark, that was a hundred years of, you know, them seeing this thing grow and get bigger. And, you know, the opportunities were there um, for everybody. I just think about like, if, if that was going on today, you know, what does it mean to get ready for it? What, how do they know that, um, you know, there's all these people today that, preach the end is coming because of this and the end is coming because of that and so you've got to do this and you've got to do that and and we know that with most of this there is no biblical basis to it there's no you know it's not rooted in god it's rooted in people's own paranoia and delusions and and egotistical kind of um you know things going on in their mind it's their mm. It's things that they have concocted. And how do, how, how would um, the people of that day have known that, that this was from God? Sure. I, I guess when I think of that, um, obviously, you know, in the time of Enoch, like Enoch, you know, spoke to the people. God always had um, a line of his people as well as, you know, the enemy always had a line of his people. Like you read in Genesis three, I believe it's 15 where, you know, after Adam and Eve's sin, um, it says, you know, he says to the serpent being Satan, you know, um, that the seed of the woman would bruise the, you know, crush the head of the serpent and it would bruise the heel of, you know, the son of God, basically who would come in the line of, of, um, God's people through Eve. And so there's always been a line of, um, it says, and I shall put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So there's always going to be this clash, this, um, enmity one, you know, between the two people. Um, and so God's always had a people group and because he has, he always has had a prophet or somebody he's speaking through to God's people. It's always been his word in either, you know, the form of a person or, you know, as we have it now, the form in the Bible. And so everything we have, we have to, you know, compare it to the Bible. Like it says in Isaiah, I believe chapter nine, that says to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, in Noah's day, Noah was that prophet um, and his sons were living testimony of the reality of what he was saying to be true. Good. Good response. Uh, here's a comment here from Landon Wags. If the animals were the final warning, how could you not believe when you see that? Oh, uh, that's a great point. That is yeah. a great point. Yeah. And how many times do we see all the animals. two by two and the seven clean animals? Yeah. Cover from all over. Yeah. That, that would be a sight to behold to simply watch all these animals coming from everywhere and lining up onto this big boat mm-hmm. and that Noah's been preaching to them about for a hundred years as he's building it. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting, uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, 
these people had no excuse, absolutely none. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think, oh, was there's a question I think about the millennium. Oh yeah, there's a question of millennium that we could later on we could talk about that there will be this period of time when you know we will be able to see for sure like these people again had plenty of time plenty of opportunity plenty of notice Mm -hmm. and and the important lesson takeaway for us today is now is a time when we are being warned Mm -hmm. of the upcoming destruction it won't be destruction by water but as we were told um god sort of hints at in genesis the rest of the Bible confirms, especially Peter in his letters, the next one is going to be with burning heat that will melt away all the elements, the earth, the you know, the, the atmosphere, all that's going to be burned and melt away. That's going to be the next flood. And God's warning, I mean, talk about global warming, right? I mean, that's the ultimate global warming is coming. And, and God wants us to get onto the new ark, to get through Christ to salvation. So, yeah. yeah. And I was going to say, and Jesus himself says, you know, in Luke 17, 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also be in the days Mm. of the son of man. Um, You know, and just like it goes on the next verse saying, you know, in Noah's time, people were eating, drinking, marrying, getting divorced, giving in marriage, you know, doing whatever they felt like um, Mm -hmm. until Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And so in the same way, you know, we can definitely see the world's in a state of just doing whatever you want and who cares and i'm just gonna live for now and have fun and have a good time and not really caring about you know the reality of things um and it it just seems to be getting worse right like people getting angrier everybody's talking about mail being stolen now i mean your amazon packages are being stolen cars being vandalized i mean you go just go down the list it doesn't feel like the way things were even 10 years ago Um, yeah i mean there's you know you think about the you know you hear stories where people ask like you know why did god allow my my child or my parent to be murdered why you know why did god allow this horrible thing to happen and you know you think about like god gave those people a thousand years like he was patient he was long-suffering he tried for a thousand years to get them to turn from that kind of wickedness and that kind of evilness and and because of that the um the people who wanted to do good were being given over to that same evilness and so it was it, it it wasn't leading to uh it was taking people further from the goodness of god until literally there's only one family left yeah that wasn't affected by it and they cho- and everybody else chose to to follow the evil as opposed to choosing wanting to choose to go to god making that decision to say you know what i i have i struggle with this evil but i but i but I want what God has. I want to be living that way. I want to be living in his character and his spirit. I'm going to get on that boat by my choice. And I think that's really interesting that it was, you know, God gave them the choice and ultimately they were the ones who chose. All they had to do was get on that boat. 
yeah. they didn't they didn't do that yeah because and you think about it i mean was it a matter of pride was it a matter of what you know why wouldn't you do it and i think that's really the question we have to ask ourselves what is keeping us from you know coming into a right relationship with god are we clinging to sin are we clinging to something are we not willing to let go of an ambition are we not willing to let go of a relationship with someone mm -hmm. that we know we shouldn't be in with um you know really what what is keeping us from a walk with god are we holding on to emotional baggage or just bitterness to god because of something bad that's happened to us and i think it's only when we you know get real with god and come before him and you know have a real conversation with him that we can, you know, find that, um, you know, that peace and that joy that comes in a right relationship with God. And we can have assurance, not only for, you know, this life that he'll be with us, but for the future to come. And I, mm -hmm. I thank God that he says, you know, in Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sin be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God desires us to come to him, to reason with him. He's an intelligent God. And then he, he'll be the one to make our lives right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we just got to start appreciating how bad sin is. Yeah. And it's, we, we're so used to it because we're so steeped in it. We see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, so our, it, it's, it's like a, you know how our eyes might adjust to a certain level of brightness or to a room being a certain color and then we step out of that room all of a sudden like oh my mm -hmm. eyes wow everything looks so different and that's sort of how we are our we're so blinded in a sense because we just see so much sin that we don't realize how awful it is we don't realize that most of our day-to-day -day experiences especially all the negative ones were not intended by god for us to live he doesn't want us to experience having our rights violated for us you know feeling shame for us mm -hmm. feeling sadness and loss and all these things that you know and and you know talk about like diseases right now and covid and you know people getting sick people dying like that's not god's plan god doesn't want that he wants to bring an end to all of these things but mm -hmm. as long as people want to continue sinning continue and really what sin is is us wanting to go our own way do our own thing do it our way that I would say is one of the best ways to think of sin. And when we're going contrary to what God wants us to do, how God wants us to be, so many bad things happen. And and it doesn't hurt just us, it hurts others. And we're experiencing consequences of what other people did too before us. Mm -hmm. The whole world is destroyed and devastated because of what we've been doing or generations before us been doing. God wants to hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. He wants us to turn to him and follow his path. Yep. Mm -hmm. Amen. And so, all right, so, so let's just, dive. Can oh, I say one first, really yeah. quick, um, just showing God's beautiful nature. Um, and I always think of this verse all the time when, you know, we, um, it's in Ezekiel chapter 18. I believe it's verse um, 28. Uh, sorry. It just, you know, talking about God's heart and who he is as a loving God. Um, and it says, Oh, I don't have the verse. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but basically it says um, that 
sorry, <laughs> that God's saying, you know, um, why will you, you know, continue your sins? I, God says, I do not desire anybody to, to die in their sins, but I want you to come and live. Um, you know, Israel, he's talking to his people and he's just saying, you know, you know, why will you continue in your sin? Re repent from your sin and come and live. Um, so I'm sorry. I lost the verse. <laughs> I thought it was. Oh, yeah. like, why would you die, O Israel? Yes. That verse? Yes. And I'm humble enough to say I don't know every verse in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. That's why we have a Bible and why we have apps so we okay. can look them up. Here it is. Okay, sorry. It's verse 23. Ezekiel 18, 23. I thought it was 28. It says, have I any pleasure at all in the, that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? God's saying, I don't have any pleasure whatsoever in destroying people at all. Even the wicked mm -hmm. people, I don't have pleasure in destroying them. But all I want is for you to turn from your wicked ways and live. Like that's always his plan. Um, so how can we say God's a murderer? He's so mean. He's not. <laughs> but there's going to come a point where he's going to say, look, we got to, like you're saying, James, set the reset button and and clean up this mess and start over. And we could choose to be a part of that new, the new beginning. Yeah. So I think, should we move on to the next question? Yeah, let's go ahead and pull that one up here. And thank you, Speed Gaming, for the comment. Appreciate that. Yeah. And I know there's been a couple other comments in the chat, and we appreciate you guys chiming in. We'll try to get those up when we can. Yeah, and lots of great points. Some of them really long points might might be hard for us to pull up on the screen, but we really appreciate that so that people watching the video can also go through and, and see some of the helpful comments you've been posting. Yeah, and if anyone has any questions, you know, about anything we're talking about, feel free to drop it in the chat, ask, contribute to the, the conversation here, and uh, we'll try to pull up what, what, what we can, you know, onto the screen. So um, the next question is, why does God use Assyria to punish Israel? when Israel has done things God's unhappy with, but then turn around and punish Assyria for being wicked to Israel. Oh, is God being inconsistent? It <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> sort of feels like the hop. Well, but... and it's like, yeah, it's, it's his being inconsistent. He's being, he's, he's punishing someone for doing what they, what he told them to do. That's, I mean, that's what the question sounds like. Is that what's going on here? Uh, I don't think that's what's going on here, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, do you want to answer first or, or, uh, yeah, I, and I got a Bible verse lined up too. Oh, about, okay. Then, or, or is your short thought? I always take a while. <laughs> I'll do a short thought then. Um, my thought is just Isaiah 10, 12, uh, that says, you know, and I don't know if you're going to quote this, uh, wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord has performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, so God knew it was going to happen because he'd been prophesying to these people for generations, guys, get it together or else Babylon is going to come and you guys are going to suffer consequences. And God was sending prophet after prophet after prophet for generations um, before the Syrians did what they did to Israel. Um, so anyways, and then go, the verse goes on to say, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. So it wasn't like, this king was so righteous and so, you know, noble in all that he did. Um, he, God just permitted him 
to, you know, do something. However, God's not going to just, you know, you know, if somebody's doing something with um, a stout heart and proud looks, you know, the Bible says that pride goes before destruction. So, you know, because of his pride, because of the evil things he was doing, yeah, he had to be humbled. But if you read in Daniel 4, that was for his conversion. Um, the the pride of the king of Assyria, which was Nebuchadnezzar, you know, it wasn't that he was punished just to be punished because God was being mean, but rather it was to bring him into a right relationship with God. And at the end of Daniel 4, he says, you know, I extol and praise the God of heaven um, because he's able to set up kings and bring down kings. And he had, you know, peace at the end of his life because he understood his place um, in the universe and in the world. And um, I, I believe that, in, you know, the long, the long big picture um, that King Nebuchadnezzar will be in the kingdom because of that. Um, so yeah, sometimes we have to suffer a short period um, to bring about something good. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a great comment from Michael Gray that actually leads right into a point I want to make. Let's sure. go ahead and pull that comment up. Yeah, let's put up Michael's comment. So he says, when Israel turned away from God's protection, they were subjected to Satan's wrath. And I think yeah. that's also a, a very spot on point. And a verse I was going to bring up, for example, is Job 1 verse 10. Job 1 verse 10. And this is uh, Satan in the presence of God, and he's complaining, you know, because God said, oh, you know, have you seen my servant Job? And, and Satan's like, well, you know, you've, of course he likes you because you've put a hedge around him and about his house and all that he has on every side. Um, so Satan is complaining about this hedge, this protection that's around Job. And this term hedge actually comes up again, for example, in Isaiah 5, 5. And so in Isaiah, God talks about how he, you know, built a beautiful garden he, or vineyard. You know, he took such good care of it, um, you know, protected it, weeded it, everything, fertilized it. And then in verse 5.5, 5, it says, um, you know, but, you know, it didn't bring about fruit. So he says, and, and now go to, I'll tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. I'm going to take away the protection and it will be eaten up and I will break down the wall thereof and it shall be trodden down. So, so when God's saying, you know, basically, you know, when his people aren't bringing good fruits, fruits of love, you know, aren't abiding by God's law of love. He, he says, I'm going to take away my protection and you're going to then suffer the consequences of it. Why is God a mean guy? You know, I think we, sort of what you talked about earlier, Tina, right? God wants to educate us because so many of us only learn the hard way. <laughs> we need to, we have to then experience, why does God say do this? Why does God say do that? Well, God says, okay, well, I'll let you experience it what happens when you don't listen to me. Yeah. We have a comment here from uh, Landon that I think would be good to pull up. Can we bring that comment up? Oh, uh, we'll get there. Oh, okay. I guess you'll. Oh, okay. Okay. I wasn't done, but all right. Sorry, that uh, <laughs> tied into what you were saying. <laughs> uh, so we do have this kind of thing that God's wanted to protect us, but then it, He sort of punishes us, but He punishes us by letting us suffer the consequences of what we're doing. Um, so yeah, in case of Israel, they were worshiping false gods. They did get very proud. Um, so God lets them get beat down a bit by Assyria. But then what happens when Assyria came in and then defeats Israel? 
like were they nice about it that they just defeat israel and then help rebuild them up and we're kind people and good yeah no not <laughs> not at all um so if we look at ezekiel 31 3 to 11 god actually talks directly about uh assyria and, and following on what you're saying tina um you know, he said that uh you know sorry verse three behold assyria was a cedar of lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade and very high and its top was among the clouds and he keep going i mean just talk about how assyria was like this gigantic tree that just stood out from the rest uh, and and this this height and its size and all that is sort of talking about in a sense its pride. Yeah, Assyria had this far reach and and encompassing many uh, different civilizations. And as it's getting bigger, it's getting more proud. And so then we get down to verse ten. Or, yeah, it says, therefore says the Lord God, because it is high in stature, and set its tops among the clouds and its heart is haughty in its loftiness and that's some of the same language with nebuchadnezzar right mm -hmm. i think yeah. when it was he was humbled in daniel 4. Um, the god says therefore i will give it i will give syria into the hands of the despot of the nations he will thoroughly deal with it according to its wickedness i have driven it away so yeah, again, God's saying, I will give it into the hands of, of the despot of nations. So he's, he's so I'm going to let suffer the consequences of what it's doing. I'm going to let someone else come in now uh, and punish it. And, and yeah, it wasn't just haughty. It was also wicked. Very wicked. These countries were brutal. Uh, was it Assyria where um, one of the Syrian rulers where he was going and just like ripping open pregnant women? Pregnant women? I, I mean, just terrible practices, like horrible, horrible, horrible things. Um, so again, like these, like if these people are around today, uh, I, I think we would have no problem if the U.S. were dropping bonds on, on them. <laughs> Not that I'm mean, for that, but. It's kind of interesting, right, when you think about like how kind of the way of the world today is that, um, you know the the rich and famous aren't held accountable right it's a it's it's often a double standard it's it's it takes a long time before they're you know they can um they can get away with a lot and you know but what we're seeing here is like god's saying no just you know you can doesn't matter how how beautiful and massive and huge and just impressive you are uh it if you're not consistent with his character it's going you know you're going to face the consequences that come with uh with not being consistent with his character with with mm -hmm. you know being inconsistent with that and that's a good segue then to the comment we have from landon <laughs> good job that's okay so he says, when we often emulate the thoughts and practices of evil or popular opinion, God will permit you to experience the whole experience of those you emulate. We must strive to emulate love. Exactly. Because mm -hmm. love, God is love. His law is love. And that is the safest, truest path to happiness, prosperity, peace, uh, everything. So, yep, dead on. And yeah, if we were... were we're doing our best to walk in God's path of love. God will 
fulfill his promise to keep a hedge around us. So we don't have to be perfect yet. We don't like we don't have to go from just like nope. this, this one moment where like we realize uh oh we've been we did get prideful, we did have these issues, like we kinda were going down that wrong path. We wanna change. Like if we don't change tomorrow. Yeah. No, it's doing your best. Okay. Which also means you're not doing it in your own strength. Yeah. You have to rely on God to supply that love, to teach you, to work with you, to change you, all that. So we're yeah. going to, what is that verse? Uh, a righteous man falls seven times or stumbles seven times, but Proverbs. gets up. Yeah, Proverbs. I think it's 28. Let me double check. But yeah, a righteous man falls seven times, but gets up again, basically. Yep. Each and, time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just my thoughts to, just to, um, you know, it's so easy to, you know, look at the story of, you know, what happened with, um, Israel and Babylon that, you know, or Syria that they came and, you know, destroyed, uh, Babylon came and destroyed Israel. And that was, you know, what God's will was at that point, basically, because Israel was so wicked and evil. But, um, again, I mean, if you understand the state of Israel, uh, I mean, like it says in Jeremiah that, um, that was when they were worshiping Baal. That's when God said, this is my last straw. Or, and not just Baal, Moloch, the, yeah, you know, where Moloch. they were throwing their children into the fire. They were doing the sacrifice, the child sacrifice, like the pagans. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, um, you yeah. Know, and had all the Astra poles and <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when you, um, when you think about, you know, that and thinking about how long God warned them, if you go back to the book of Leviticus, I believe it's chapter 16, where God says, you know, don't make any, don't start worshiping other gods because you're going to end up losing everything. And God warned mm -hmm. them from the time of Moses to not partake in these terrible uh, practices of worshiping other gods. So from the time of Moses to the time of Babylon, that was like at least what, a thousand years um, and Israel kept coming back and going forth and going back and going forth. And God, um, like you read in Nehemiah, it says in thy multiple manifold mercies, God would, you know, bring us back. And in his manifold mercies, God would, you know, if Israel would repent, then God would, um, you know, not allow them to be punished. But it was only when there was no repentance, they said, you know what, we don't care. We, they killed all God's prophets. Hey, God said, I have to give you up to these consequences, mm -hmm. you know, um, because they they just wouldn't learn. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think <laughs> God was in any way, you know, vindictive or, or evil in doing that. I think just like a good parent, sometimes you have to let your kids, you know, suffer punishment. You know, if your kid ends up robbing a bank, like you can't try to bail him out of jail. Like he has to suffer some consequences for mm -hmm. his actions. And I think that was just the state of, of Israel and the state of, of Babylon. Yeah. I like yeah. that comment from uh, Michael that was just up about how God was just so yeah. patient with Israel. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that's, I feel like half the Bible is just God being patient with Israel. And, and we see it today too. Like there's so much horrible stuff going on in the, in this world today. And you know, everybody wants to see, well, not everybody, but, you know, uh, the rocks are crying out for change and people are wanting to see 
to see that change and but god is being patient right now trying to get more people to turn because let's be honest even those of us that want to see change go on like we still make mistakes we still uh find ourselves because of our career or because of um you know our need to feed our family or because of the environment we grew up in we still are being purified we you know our hearts are being purified our characters are being uh refined and 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 improved upon and um god is being immensely patient with you know with everybody because um he he wants what's the verse about how you know he he wants that uh none shall perish but that all shall be restored to him what is that it's about john three sixteen and john's three seventeen. uh i don't know we'd have to pull it up but there's a couple of verses along those lines <laughs> that is oh. they're coming to mind perish, but that all should come to repentance that's um acts oh. i think that's the words of peter if i'm not yeah. mistaken yeah but but yeah, but John three sixteen is obviously, I mean, for God so loved the world that he gave right. his only son, you know, that none should perish. I mean, for yeah. real. Yeah. And in the very next verse, John three seventeen, for yeah. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but yeah. that the world through him might be saved. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I yeah. Saved. Which that's a good segue into our next question. I agree. Our next part of the question. So, oh, the part three? Yes, part three, okay. if we can bring that up. So do the stark differences between the underlying attitudes and motives of the Old Testament version of God and the New Testament version of God ever strike you? And if so, what do you do to reconcile them to yourself? So let's talk about this a little bit. Like what, um, what are the underlying attitudes and motives of the uh, God of the Old Testament, as some people would coin it, versus the God of the New Testament. You want to do that one first? What are the differences? Uh, what are the underlying attitudes and motives, yeah, between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament? Is this, is it the same? Is it different? Uh, why does the Old Testament God look, so. appear to be... Uh, not love and the new testament god is love can if i could say a verse um that to me that's what comes to mind um when i think about and i've had people say this like oh you can't even bring up the old testament because that's a different god it wasn't until jesus came then we see you know who god really is and, but Jesus says in John 5 39, he says, search the scriptures. There was no new Testament at this point. Jesus tells his people, search the scriptures, the old Testament for in them, you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. So all the old Testament is a reflection of the character of God as seen through Jesus Christ. But we just see it more in stories and we see it in a different culture than maybe we have today. You know, the culture in the Old Testament of these people were was different. It was more primitive in some ways. You know, people were farmers. You know, there was, it was just a different world. But at the same time, there's still underlying principles of God's mercy and love that you see. I mean, you see it from Genesis um, 
in, you know, that God didn't destroy Adam and Eve as soon as mm -hmm. they sinned, even though they were, <laughs> they blatantly rebelled, you know, God said, you know, I'm going to bring my son through your seed. I will give my son for your salvation. I mean, what greater gift could God have given than his own child? I couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I <laughs> became a parent. I said, Lord, I don't know how you did it because I couldn't. I would never do it. <laughs> I don't know how you did, but God is so loving and so merciful. And despite that, you know, the, the, you know, there's some, you know, wars and things that happen in the old Testament. We see in those stories more than the new Testament, but that doesn't mean, you know, that God is any less loving at, at all. And um, there's so many prophecies of that point to Jesus and just the, the one that I'll say, and then I'll, I'm sorry, Jay, I'll let you um, share your <laughs> no, no, thoughts. Um, just really quick is Zephaniah 314. This is sing, O daughter of Zion. O shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Because God was saying, you're going to have salvation. Um, and he, it says, he shall speak peace unto the heathen. Um, God didn't, you know, just want to save his people and, you know, and destroy everybody else. That's really never his plan. He wants to save everybody. And he's trying to use his people to get the job done. Just his people are not always doing a great job at it. It's <laughs> kind of what I found. But um, I don't see any difference in the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. He's still the same God of love, trying to speak to people in a way that they understand in their culture and their point in history um, is basically what I see. Uh, that is so well said. Mm -hmm. I, I'll i just add maybe one point. It, it just, but let's look at Jonah. Jonah 4. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. Um, so we know the story of Jonah, right? God sends Jonah to give a warning. Does that sound familiar? To, to the city of Nineveh before God was going to destroy it because they became utterly wicked. And they actually repented. They listened to the very pitiful warning from, from Jonah. I mean, he just goes through and says, you guys are going to be destroyed in 40 days. That's all he says. Just go through the whole, village, whole town. But they're shaking. I mean, they know Jonah's a prophet. They take his word seriously. They repent. They reform. And they're not destroyed. Mm -hmm. And was Jonah happy and excited about this? <laughs> no. Uh, verse 4, verse 4, it says, Jonah... But but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. I wanted these people to destroy God, and I said they're going to be destroyed. They weren't, Now I look like a false prophet. I mean, who knows what's going on in his head, mm -hmm. right? And in verse 2, it says, And he prayed to, to the Lord and said, O Lord, was not this my same when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and great of kindness and re repentest thou of the evil. I mean, so, so he's saying, because I know God is good. I'm going to run away from my responsibility from what I've been asked to do because I don't mm -hmm. want to do it and God yeah. will have mercy on me. Yeah. I don't want to go preach to, to these Ninevites because I know you're going to turn them around and not destroy them. And I I'm want gonna, them gone. I'm going to look like a fool because yeah. I went and preached this and then you spared them and now I look like yeah. a fool and so I don't want to do that. Yeah. But I know you're a good guy, God. I know you're too merciful. I want these people to burn. <laughs> 
and yeah and just i think too yeah. just like the i'm better than these people like ugh, why wouldn't you just get rid of that i don't want them saved it's like a class thing like he's too good and i think that's such a huge thing when it comes to God. He is no respecter of persons. And the Bible mm -hmm. says that multiple times in his word, God is no respect of persons. He wants everybody saved. And like you think of, you know, missionaries that go to these, these countries where nobody's reached them. Um, you know, that's God's will. God wants to reach these people, you know, despite whatever they pass, they come from whatever their sins, whatever, you know, people that you think, oh, they're dirty or they're, you know, people in prison. God loves them and God is trying to change our heart in reaching these people that, that to see the value of the human soul. Um, sorry, I just can't even get over that. You yeah. Know, God loves That's us that he would, you know, and, and how much he believes in us that we would preach his message of love to a dying world. Mm -hmm. um, back up a moment. You used a term that, it was an it's a fairly new term to me and i think probably a lot of people i uh, have not heard it before you said god is no respecter of persons mm -hmm. but respect is a part of love so what oh. what does that mean <laughs> that, Modern yes. speech. and and yes. you know we i i hate to say it but i hear it used a lot as a way to kind of um say well god was no respecter of persons so i don't have to respect you kind of thing um <laughs> I, I hear it used like that a fair bit so tell me a little more what does it mean that god is no, re no respecter of persons that's a good question because obviously this is um the respecter of persons meaning that god doesn't value one person's more than another not that god doesn't respect us of course god respects us he respects us enough to let us do as we will he doesn't force us to convert he gives us the option and you know respects our choice whatever it be whether to turn to him or turn away from him um but rather to the respecter of persons um it just means that god doesn't favor um you know, one person over another. It's not that, you know, in that sense, not like, oh, mm -hmm. well, this person's my favorite and I don't really like him as much. So he's not as valuable. Um, whereas I think we see that, you know, um, in this world, it's like, well, I only want to hang out with the cool people, you know, right. and you're not cool. So you don't matter to me. God's like, no, I love everybody. I don't care if you're cool or not. I don't care, you know, what your background is, what your color is, what your anything is. God's like, I love you. I love everybody the same. I want everybody in my kingdom. There's nobody that I'm like, eh, you, maybe I want them saved, maybe not. No, God values every person, every soul. Even the person that is steeped in sin of every way, you're telling me God even loves that person. Oh, yeah. So the person who, you know, I don't want to name specifics here because they get really controversial. Um, but... Uh, you think about the things that are most controversial today around topics in the Bible and what, you know, uh, and in our, our cultural moral values and such, like, um, all of those things, every place where people differ from maybe God's ideal plan or God's ideal ways mm -hmm. for them, uh, every person who's struggling with sin of every kind, whether it be, uh, um, you know, uh, I think a big one that comes up a lot, of course, is sexual sin, um, uh, in every form of the matter. Um, sure. 
people who have murdered somebody, people who have um, who, who have uh, committed murder in their heart, even if it wasn't uh, real. Tell me, God loves every single one of these people the same. Absolutely. As the pastor preaching the good news and uh, and and has some little shortcomings here and there but they're doing they're doing the lord's work so you know they get a pass right <laughs> like uh, uh. no and uh, if i could bring up sorry Wendy, didn't mean to interrupt you um just when um again looking back you know when the bible says respecter of persons it's not like god doesn't give respect like value the word um we have to look at the language and um i love blue letter bible going to say it again and you go back to the original meaning of the word, um, it means one who discriminates. So God is not one who discriminates. God is not a discriminating God. You know, mm -hmm. he doesn't, um, he has no prejudice. Uh, he, you know, he's, he's not going to discriminate against one person or another. He's, that's what it, the meaning of the word. And perfect about, fairness. <laughs> exactly. But when you think about, you know, people in the Bible, and I think that's why it's so important that we read the Old Testament, because you look at the story of Rahab, she was a prostitute. And she was a heathen and yet mm -hmm. God spared her life. And Jesus came through her line. Like if you, I mean, what, but God saw value in her. I mean, she was a godless hooker <laughs> and God said, my son, Jesus is going to come through her line. Like, I think God doesn't care who you are as long as your heart is right with him. And you, God sees potential in your heart to love as he loves. It doesn't matter what your background or your past. <laughs> That's beautiful. I think, I hope that that will be a comfort to a lot of people who are able to tune in and hear this. I hope so. And I mean, just like you're saying murder, David was a murderer. <laughs> he impregnated mm -hmm. his best friend or good friend's wife and then killed him. Like, yet God was like, you know, I love you, David. You messed up big time. You're going to have to suffer for it. You're going to pay some consequences, but I don't want you to be destroyed. He's always wanting us to come back to him. Mm -hmm. Just like you, you treat your own child. Like, yeah, you know, your kid needs to suffer some consequences, but man, like you think of the prodigal son who comes back, the father is overjoyed. I mean, that should be our, always our image of God mm -hmm. is the God that runs to us when we return to him. He loves us. He throws his arms around us. And he wants the sin destroyed, but yes. not the person. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. All right. Uh, did you have any other co comments? Nope. Okay. Let's get into our next and question here. Maybe just to say too, um, you know, we, we appreciate all you guys who are tuning in and watching live, you know, please, uh, you know, just, uh, Please keep sharing the comments and drop us questions. We can answer these live. This is uh, right now real time, so we really want to engage with you and um, and love to hear from you. Oh, there's some comments here that um, maybe we should pull a couple of these up. Uh... Uh, so like maybe the comment from Nancy that... God even loves Satan. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Um, she has some many good comments, but... Yeah, let's go with this one. So, <laughs> God even loves Satan and wanted him to change his wicked ways, but God knows he won't and will continue hurting others. So, God has to permanently end Satan's life at the end of time to end suffering. 
but he still loves Satan and grieves that he won't turn from his wickedness. Actually, that's a pretty good transition to our next question. <laughs> all right, then let's dive in. Uh, all right, so this is from Deborah, and again, there's three things here, so I'll read all three and then we'll go through them. Uh, Deborah asks, I, I read readings that say the thousand years will be on earth. Then I read the thousand years will be in heaven. Which one is it? Next part is, what would be the purpose of letting Satan free after the thousand years to gather unbelievers for battle if it is not on earth? And then the last part is, I read the unbelievers that... I Hold on, trying to get my head around this. Oh, I read the unbelievers that Satan gathers are also descendants of believers who are living in the thousand years that did not believe in Jesus because they were having children born to them for the believers in this thousand year time with no temptation from Satan because he is locked up in this time. Satan is not allowed in heaven. So how will he get all these unbelievers if it's not on earth? Okay, so let's go back to the first question. Um, so this is really all the, the, the context of all of these here is really, uh, what what is God's what, what's God telling us about what's going to happen at the end and his and yeah. and Satan's influence and what is this thousand years or the multiple uh, yeah. thousand years so yeah so yeah. I read readings that say the thousand years will be on earth then I read the thousand years will be in heaven which one is it you look like so eager to go <laughs> sorry I'm always eager. I love all these questions they're great um, so. All right. Uh, a good rule of thumb when reading books like Revelation and Daniel is they really are trying to tell you the same thing over and over and over again. So just because something's repeated doesn't mean you're seeing something new. So, for example, in Daniel, it talks about this uh, times, times, and half a times. Um, and Revelation, you see that come back again. You see 42 months mentioned, and you see... 1260 days are these all different periods no it's the same time this it's just talked about the same period of time of the anti antichrist reign mm -hmm. so same thing here we have uh you know but i should say when revelation is repeating it though it's giving you a slightly different perspective it's like a movie um you know sometimes where a movie might jump back and forth between two people and and they might be living simultaneously right but you get two different perspectives so that's exactly what's going on here in Revelation 20. Um, and so, and if you look at Revelation 20, it talks about how um, this angel comes down. Oh, I wonder why we were so dark. <laughs> <laughs> I fixed it. <laughs> Good catch. Um, so this angel comes down, has a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And actually, maybe it's going to be easier if we answer some of these questions together because if we just go line by line through Revelation 20? Or is that going to take too long? Um, I, I, I know, and I was thinking about this too because I was just like, man, you almost have to read the whole book or a whole chapter of Revelation 20 to kind of answer this. I mean, yeah. like the simple answer to her question for this to me is is both. <laughs> that's that's my answer. Is this in heaven? Is this on earth? Uh, is a thousand years heaven, yeah. heaven or earth? The answer is it's both, but it's the same yeah. period of time, which some people call the millennium. Yes, exactly. Uh, but what's happening on earth is different than what's happening in heaven. And you kind of get that picture here in Revelation 20. Um, 
do you want to kind of skim through it? Um, does that work? Or succinctly summarize it? Uh, it's a little tricky to do that. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I mean, to, I guess we could sort of just quickly summarize it. So you have this imagery of an angel coming from heaven, and he has this key to the bottomless pit. Bottomless pit, a lot of people struggle. What is that? Um, that That's the same term, like void, uh, the same exact word that's used in the Greek, the Greek New Testament, uh, sorry, the Greek Old Testament. So when Jesus would lie, they had this book called the Septuagint. It was the Hebrew translated into Greek uh, of the Old Testament. And that word that they use in Genesis 1, that the earth was void and without form, that Greek word they use to translate that is the same word John's using right here for bottomless pit. So, and, and if you read the prophets of like Isaiah, Joel, um, Jeremiah, you can just go down through the list. They're all talking about this devastation of the earth, where the earth is, is um, if you flip earlier in Revelation 2, you hear about this, these giant earthquakes. Everything's leveled at the second coming of Jesus. Like, the earth is totally devastated. Everybody's dead. There's a feast of birds. Birds just pick away on all the flesh because all humans are dead. And Satan now is chained to the earth. He can't leave it. And what is he going to do now? If everybody is dead, who is he going to tempt? Right now, he's roaming around the world like a roaring lion trying to devour everybody. But when everybody is dead, he's got nothing to do. And so so we are looking at earth as... Uh, as Landon said in his comment, you know, you're looking at a thousand years of heaven, and then there's all those thousand years of Earth, the same period of time. Earth is devastated, nothing's going on. And what is Satan going to do then for those thousand years? Like, what can he do? <laughs> He's going crazy. But, I mean, in a sense, it's kind of like his punishment, his jail time. Like, he has, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, He's basically confined to this earth with no one to tempt, nothing to do. He's going to go crazy in a sense, just, um, you know, with no no ability to do the wickedness that he wants to do. And hopefully he has all this time to sort of have some self-reflection to think about what he's done for the past 6,000 years, mm-hmm. how he's devastated people's lives, how he's rebelled against God. So I think God's giving him, especially this time to think. We don't know what exactly happens with his angels. Presumably the angels, his his evil angels will be there with him too. Uh, maybe they'll play chess, who knows. Um, but <laughs> they're going to be bored sick. Um, and then, so that's, that's sort of uh, Revelation 20, verse 1 through 6. Uh, and, and it actually tells us, uh, oh, sorry, that was uh, Revelation 21 to 3. Um, now, Revelation 24 says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Christ, and for the word of God, and which were worshipped, and, and which had not worshipped the beast. Um, you know, basically, the people who were sealed with God's seal. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So uh, we know if you read earlier, Christ comes, he gathers his people, uh, you know, Thessalonians, it talks about how um, the devil raised and the people be united with, um, those who are living be united with those who are dead 
and and would be gathered. Christ often uses the imagery of a gathering. So his people be gathered, they're in heaven, um, and it says there's thrones, and they're reigning with Christ. Uh, this is a time of of going through the books. I think we've mentioned before that the books of everybody's life, um, you know, I mean, just, just think about it. You get to heaven and what's the first thing you're wanting to do? Wait, who's here? Is, is yeah. Tina here? Is Wendy there? Is my mom there? Who's? I'd kind of like looking. to meet Jesus in person. Was it? I'd kind of like to meet Jesus. Oh yeah. You'll, you'll meet Jesus in person, but like, we're all going to be gathered there and, and we're just, I mean, it, you go somewhere, you're always looking for, do yeah. I recognize anybody? And that's what we're going to be doing. And we're going to start realizing certain people are not there. Yeah. And then we're also going to be surprised that certain people are there. <laughs> and so God is giving us this period of time to go through, double check God's work. Does this make sense what God has done? Uh, Paul says, do you not know that ye shall even judge angels? Right, so we're also going to be looking at all the wicked angels. Why are they not? Why did they get cast out? So this is um, a very important time. This is really, I think, the judgment when God's people get to judge. It's not that we get to decide people's fate. That's really decided. But we're going to look at it and we're going to realize, you know, God is just and true. And and that's a theme that comes up in revelation as people keep talking about oh god your judgments are so good you know you're so just you're so you're so fair mm -hmm. you know, because people have realized god is loving he is merciful he is kind he's given people every single chance possible to repent to be saved and and yet they have not so Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting, so essentially, you know, right now we, a lot of people live in, kind of in the fear of God's judgment, but really like we're going to judge God as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I really, who is, who is being judged? It is sort of us judging God too. Uh, that's exactly it. Satan has been warring against God, trying to convince us God is not fair. God is not loving. God is a tyrant. God is this and that and this is uh a time where we i guess you could say we get affirmation for just how good god is and he's so transparent yeah he's not hiding anything he's like look i've documented everything of everybody's life i've documented everything i've done for them everything they've done everything they rejected everything good everything bad they've done he's got it all oh with one exception though if your name is in the book of life if you're in heaven your sins are blotted out they're gone nobody's going to see those that's what's amazing right Thank God. <laughs> yeah, That's thank powerful. God. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So, I mean, in, in essence, to kind of summarize the answer um, from our friend, you know, does the millennium or this thousand year period, does it happen on earth or in heaven? Um, like just to summarize what, what Jay said is the, uh, on earth, um, it, the thousand years, there's um, a work going on on earth and a work going on in heaven on earth uh the devil's here possibly with his angels basically bound you know he's with a chain he's just stuck here being you know in a sense like a prison cell he's stuck here on the earth while god's people um like it says in verse in revelation 20 um verse 4 you know that those people 
um, that they live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to read one quick thing in verse five. It says, but the rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection on such a second death has no power. Um, just like you're kind of saying first Thessalonians mm-hmm. four, it says, you know, the dead in Christ shall rise first and those that be alive um, will be caught up with them. So everybody who's raised in that first resurrection, they're saved. They're in heaven. Um, then we spend, like you're saying, that thousand years, you know, reading the books, going over things. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a time where we can kind of process what just happened <laughs> on planet Earth. Um, and I think God's so merciful in giving us that time. So it's a time of of healing for God's people up in heaven, and it's um, a time for um, a punishment for Satan on the earth. Um, and then, um, yeah, once that time is over, then we see the destruction of the world. Yeah, and, and maybe that, that goes into some of the next questions, right? So what would be the purpose of letting state and free after a thousand years to gather in believers to, for battle? Is it not on earth? So uh, we turn to the very next uh, verse, Revelation 20, verse 7, and it says, and when the thousand, the thousand years, so no, so there's only one thousand year period, it's mm-hmm. confirmed in Revelation 27, Satan shall be loose out of his prison. And again, what we're saying was a prison, that's the earth totally destroyed and void of people. So how would God sort of loose Satan so that he could go about his business? He can only tempt people. If people are dead, he can't tempt them. So God is going to resurrect people. Um, you know, if you scroll later down, um, Revelation is not necessarily written in chronological order. That's a very good concept to remember, too. Um that makes it a bit confusing, but we do see that the dead were raised up later on, the wicked in uh, verses, uh, uh, like verses 12, 20, verse 12, and 20, verse 13, talk about the dead being brought back. So Satan goes, tempts these people, and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of them is as the sand of the sea. I mean, can you imagine every single person who's ever lived who's not with God, which, uh, how many people got on the ark versus the rest of the whole population? Yeah. Not many. So, mm-hmm. if, if history teaches anything, the masses do not choose to be on God's side. So Satan is going to have this huge army of, of most people who of most people who've ever lived. And then you have all people who've ever lived uh, who are godly with Christ. There's going to be a lot of people alive at one time. Sure. But Satan is going on to tempt these people. And they went up, verse 9, on the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about, about them and the beloved city. So what's that talking about? Things are sort of bit in reverse order. If you read the next chapter, it talks about how the uh, the holy city comes down onto Earth, uh, and it actually lands on Earth. So the New Jerusalem's there. Satan causes all the wicked people to surround the holy city while it's on Earth, and it says, "And then fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them." Boom. So now they're they're gone. 
and the devil that deceived them was cast into lake of fire and he is destroyed. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, the purpose in that is, again, going back to the justice of God and, you know, us understanding God, because God is an arbitrary and he wants to have a real relationship with us. Um, you know, a lot, it kind of almost goes back to, you know, the thought of why didn't God just destroy Satan in the first place? Why did God allow suffering and sin for all these thousands of years? Like, why would God do that? And it goes back to, you know, God's character and um, us being able to judge, you know, was God fair in this whole dealing with sin? Because if he just wiped out Satan from the beginning, that would look a little (laughs) suspicious, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this guy came and accused God of being unfair. Um, Just like he told Eve, you know, God says, you know, God says, you know, what's going to happen if you eat this fruit? And she says, you know, we can't eat it or we'll die. And Satan says, thou shalt not surely die. God just doesn't want you to, you know, have something good. He's withholding something good from you. And so Satan calls God a liar. And he, you know, basically tries to show, you know, that God's character is not fair and not loving. And so in, in allowing us this thousand year period to judge, you know, to go through the books, to see why some people are in heaven, why some people aren't, and to see what God has done over this, you know, 6,000, however many years that um, it will be in, you know, before God, um, you know, brings all this to an end, we can kind of just say, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, like, you know, God was fair. And, um, and when we come down, you know, those who are saved and they're in heaven and they come down, you know, in the city, they'll see those who, are not in the city. And in a way, it's kind of a last goodbye. (laughs) I mean, as heartbreaking as that would be, but knowing, you know, this was, God was fair. God was merciful and God did everything in his power to save these people. And um, the Bible calls calls God a consuming fire. Now, if we're, you know, part of God's fire, it won't consume us. Just like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they went through the fire and because Christ was with them, they were never burned. They didn't have the smell of smoke on them. But, you know, the the strong men that threw them in the fire, they were destroyed, like just by throwing these people in the fire. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing. If we're with Christ, you know, his all-consuming love will not destroy us, but rather it will give us life. Um, just like fire, more fire just grows with more fire. But if it's, um, if it's the wrong material, it's going to burn it up. And that's kind of um, what we see here is we see by the fire of God, what people are made of. Are they truly in their inmost soul, good and loving? Um, or is there wickedness that they're holding on to that they're just not willing to ever let go? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and maybe you did say it, but maybe it's a recap. So what's the point then of letting Satan loose to tempt all these people who are already condemned? Like, you know, if there was any doubt in our minds, right, maybe, and maybe there might still be like, God, please, maybe can we give these people a second chance? Yeah. So, so now they're in front of heaven. They see God's glory. Now they can't say, well, I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus was God. I didn't know God was real thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now they're faced with God. Now they're, they're, they're in this holy city or, or sorry, around the holy city. And, but what happens? 
Are are they going to be peaceful with God? It says they go to make war, right? Yeah, they go to try to destroy God God's people. <laughs> yeah, the they surrounded the camp of the saints, the of the beloved city. Yeah. Oh yeah, it says yeah. Satan gathers them up together to battle. So, yeah, he's gathering up to war against God and God's people. Yeah, Revelation twenty eight. So they had a final chance in a sense. I mean, God already knows their fate. He already knows their character. Already knows they're not. They don't want to be in heaven. Yeah, but he's but, giving them one last chance. Yeah, and he's. He, he's giving them every opportunity to turn from it. The only thing he's not doing is literally yeah. forcing them to change. And, and and look what happens. If God does not intervene, what is going to happen? God's people are peaceful, peaceable. They don't want to kill. They want to, you know, hurt a fly. And they're surrounded now by, you know, Hitler and Stalin and... You know, all the most evil people who've ever lived and, you know, other people who are maybe not so evil, but, you know, tons of people mm -hmm. who are bad, eager to blow things up. Is God just going to say, hey, I'll, I'll let you guys, you know, stick around, have fun, do things. Continue to torment. Yeah, continue to torment. Those who have chosen to like, we have to good. We have to understand sin is deadly. I mean, didn't God say at the very beginning, you know, if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Yeah. Like sin and death are so closely intertwined. It's almost like a, a, a law of nature that sin brings about death, yeah. not just to the one who sinned, but to even to those who don't sin. And that's the significance of Christ on the cross. Mm -hmm. Christ did not sin. Christ did not deserve death. But we even see death or sorry, sin causing death of the perfect being, God himself, who is the creator of all things. Sin cannot be tolerated mm -hmm. it, because sin is intoleration. Sin is destruction. Sin is suffering. Mm -hmm. And God has to bring an end to that. Yeah. Isn't it interesting too, like what kind of this pattern that we see, you know, we see it here and we also saw it, you know, with the crucifixion of Jesus, we saw it with the, uh, you know, kind of um, the way Noah's family was treated. We see it with many characters in the Bible where those that are doing good are being attacked by those who are steeped in wickedness and they didn't do anything to provoke it. They, the wickedness is what is, and evil is what is provoking. It hates the, righteousness. It hates righteousness. And it, yeah, and, you go and, to the beginning, Cain versus Abel. Abel did absolutely nothing yeah. wrong. Abel did what was good and right. And Abel hated, I'm sorry, Cain hated Abel because of his righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. it's interesting that, that, you know, for the one, the, the person who is who is steeped in that wickedness, they are, they're angry at people for being good, for doing good, for yeah. not sinning, because maybe because they're angry at themselves, they're angry at, you know, their own 
lack of of restraint or lack of handling it and then that brings them face to face when they see someone that that actually has that that strength of character and that um steadfastness of character it's it's like it's riling up that that anger in them that that you know they're, they're almost seeing, envy jealousy like if this person's gone i don't look so bad right yeah it's like they yeah. they see that <laughs> or, wickedness in yeah. them they can't handle it and it comes out at the other you know yeah. at those that are good and and it was unprovoked it you know there wasn't mm -hmm. yeah um, if you had two kids and one kid was perfect like did everything you asked was quiet was respectful was kind kind loving perfect and then you have another child who keeps stealing from your other child keeps beating up and hurting your other child always lies to you uh torches your house kills your dog i mean you just keep on going and nothing seems to turn this kid around nothing like and, and you consult all the experts everybody say yeah this kid is a sociopath he's only going to get worse he's going to become a serial killer and and then he actually does end up murdering someone i mean what are you going to do with this kid mm -hmm. you can't let that 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 person be around other people because it's a disruption it's to the harmony it's a it's it, it creates mm -hmm. a a severe danger to everybody else and you know god has to separate the the wicked from yeah. those who have turned from wickedness and we haven't even talked about how god is merciful not even letting the wicked be in his presence like I think you sort of hinted at it, you know, talk about how fire comes from God and God consumes people. Like the Bible says God is a consuming fire. Like his presence is flames of fire. Yeah. And, you know, he purifies, he cleans, he, um, you know, and unless you are like gold, which then gets even more pure in his presence, you're going to get burned away. Like He's so kind, so loving, so bright, so perfect so good so joy i mean like if you just looked at his face and saw the emotions and the kind of joy in his face it will kill you <laughs> you will want to kill yourself i mean there's prophet isaiah right when he sees god he says oh woe is me i am undone <laughs> yeah he, he thought he's going to die now i saw god god is so good so perfect i am just an absolute horrible sinner person person and isn't it isn't it interesting how like the the closer we come to god the more we get to know god's character mm -hmm. the more we realize the issues that we're dealing with and like i think about you know some of the things that god has helped me overcome in my life and changed in my life and in my character and i look i look back and i think gosh if if i had seen all of these things at one time 10 years ago like i couldn't have handled it I, I I really couldn't have handled that much change at one time if I had been aware of it all at that one time. But God doesn't do that. He, you know, he he loves us enough to mm -hmm. gently, um, lo with long suffering and patience, lead us step by step as long as we commit to mm -hmm. be on that path and say that that's the path we want to be on 
he meets us where we're at and he lets us face, you know, one or two or maybe five issues at a time, but he doesn't make us face everything at a time because we're just, we couldn't, we literally could not handle it. So we got a comment from Michael Gray. I think it goes along with what we're talking about too. Let's go ahead and pull that comment up. It says, the other thought is that God destroys sin. Those who cling to sin will be destroyed along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, going back to what we're talking about. Yeah, if you don't want to be like gold tried in the fire, Revelation 2, or sorry, Revelation 3, uh, you will be like dross and you will get purged. You will hold on to your sin. You want to identify with your sin. You want You love your sin. You're going to perish with it. Like if all you like to do is porn off pornography, listen to violent, hateful music, um, you know, play video games, watch violent uh, movies. Like this is your life. This is all you do. This is all you care about. Oh, and then you like you know killing animals and eating their flesh. Uh, you just go all down all the way down. How are you going to like it in a new in a new world where there's no killing, no meat, no sex, no violence, no movies? I mean, there's not going to be anything for you. You're going to be miserable. <laughs> you're, you're not going to um, like it. Unless you make the change. Yeah. You, you decide that you want to love what God loves. You want to enjoy what God has, has put forth for us to enjoy. And you want to pursue that path. It has to come, that want has to be there. That desire has to be there. Mm-hmm. And that, that choice, you know, we don't have to... We don't have to be perfect right away. We uh, we just have to make the choice that that's the path we want to be on is heading towards God's character and embracing the elements of that. I kind of like how all these questions sort of fit this theme. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we well, could have planned it better. Yeah. Have we got to the last part of the question? Um, the It's kind of longer about, she says, I read the unbelievers that Satan gathers are also descendants of believers who are living in the thousand years um, that didn't come to Jesus. Do you want, did we ask that already? We kind of indirectly answered it by saying that basically it's all wicked people who ever lived. You know, as, yeah. as, as you read earlier, there's two resurrections, sort of the first resurrection and the second. If you're in the first resurrection, God's going to pick you up and bring you to heaven with him. Yay. Yeah. You want to be in that one. Yes. But if you're in the second resurrection, you're with all the other wicked people who ever lived. Yeah. And and you're in the Gog, Gog Magog group. Yeah. And just to, to head on, um, address it, no people are born in the millennium. I know that that's a popular belief. I believe in the, um, the rapture theory um, that during that thousand years, um, there's a group of, you know, there's seven years where some people convert back to God. And so, um, and I've heard that there's people that are, that's like kind of the basis of the rapture is that there's God, some of, some people are born during this rap or the millennium time. And um, they like, they're saved um, there. Anyways, it's a little bit interesting. Um, I had an interesting discussion with a friend of mine who believes very strongly in the rapture, you know, and I respect her opinion, but I have to, you know, humbly disagree just on biblical grounds because um, it's pretty clear that God's people are resurrected and they're in heaven and Satan is bound to the earth and the wicked, you know, don't live again until the end of the thousand years. And that's when they're resurrected for the second resurrection, which is, 
you know, the, that of the lost. Um, and the Bible is very clear in, um, I'm trying to remember, is it, uh, um, Luke, uh, Oh, uh, Matthew twenty two thirty. 30, uh, for in the resurrection, so after we've been resurrected in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So nobody is born. There's no children being born during the millennium mm-hmm. period. So you don't have, I know that that's kind of a popular theory and I'm sure you've read, um, you know, books like left behind things like that, that that's a little more mainstream, um, However, there's really no biblical grounds for that that I've found personally. Exactly. And uh, I'd like to read a little bit out of Second Peter 3. That's okay. Second yeah. Peter 3, start at verse 8. Because I think it sort of talks, ties together everything we're talking about, including the millennium. And so it begins like uh, that... Um, let no one let this one fact escape don't let this one fact escape your notice beloved that with the lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day so you often hear about the great day of the lord i think it really is talking about this millennium this thousand peer thousand year period when uh beginning with the second coming of christ and then ending with um the f- completion of judgment and destruction destruction of the wicked so a thousand years like a day and a thousand year, days is like a year. Um, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And know you read this verse earlier, but it's so true. Why hasn't Jesus come yet? Because he's patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish yet. Mm-hmm. He wants us to get on the ark. Amen. <laughs> uh, but the day of the Lord, verse 10, the, will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements with their, will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. You know, so, so it is going to end, this thousand year period is going to end with, well, it's going to come like a thief, but if you read, it's it's, it's because we don't anticipate when it's going to happen. It's going to catch you by surprise, right? But it's not going to be like it's a secret thing nobody sees because how does Peter go? He says the heavens are going to pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. I mean, nobody's going to miss this. Like the millennium is going to come with that big bang. Um, a real big bang yeah (laughs) so since all these things are to be destroyed in this way what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of god because of which the heavens will be burnt will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat but according to his promise we are looking forward to a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. So, amen. so we'll be able to live righteously without the temptation of sin, without the pressure of sin in that time. 
Amen. I mean, yeah, maybe... there will only be righteousness. Mm -hmm. There will be no wicked people. Only the people, only there'll, people dwelling are there. There will righteous. be no wickedness. Yeah. Yeah. There will be no wickedness, period. And that's got to be a beautiful mm -hmm. place, a beautiful time. Can you, it's like impossible to even imagine that. Like, so much, there's just so much wickedness in our world. And, you know, so many challenges that, that come up and provoke us and tempt us and, and ruin our jive right <laughs> and and at that time like none of that will be there so it'll be we'll be able to live righteously it'll be easy just it'll because, be because natural we, yeah because we want it we want to make to be that way it simply yeah. will be that way god's love will be in our heart he'll we'll have a new heart mm -hmm. and yeah let's uh, uh let's dive into our our last or do we want to <laughs> do you want to hit that topic tonight or yeah it's up to you guys i can keep going but yeah let's do it as long as we do it not you know i know i didn't realize the time it, yeah <laughs> when you say that word it's like time flies when you have <laughs> yes uh all right so sharon asks can you explain the latter rain Yes, and that is a huge question <laughs> for sure. Um, so, and um, yeah, I'm sorry, Jay. I don't know if you wanted to to jump on that or um, if you feel the zone. Di or... Dive in. You start. And I'll, I mean, honestly, I'm going to give a pretty simple response. And obviously, my answer. I mean, as much as I can just answer with a Bible verse, that's what I want to answer. I really don't like adding my words as much. Uh, um, I know sometimes you kind of explain things, but um, if you read um, book of James chapter five, verse seven, it says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth. So it's talking about coming to the end of time when there's precious fruit. Um, and I'll show you another verse, what I think that fruit is. Um fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. So um, my understanding of the early and latter rain, or basically the latter rain is it's the outpouring of the Holy spirit. So the early rain that it's talking about is that of the early church at Pentecost. That's the early rain before the coming of Jesus. There's going to be the latter rain, which is the outpouring of the Holy spirit. There's going to be a revival in God's people such as never been. And um, this precious fruit that God is talking about here, if you go to Revelation um, chapter 14, it talks about uh, God's people being the 144,000. Now, these are a special group of God's people. Now, God has saved people from the time, you know, the beginning to, to now. Um, there's people who are going to be in heaven from, you know, thousands of years from before Christ because they had faith like Abraham, um, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So anybody who had faith in God before Jesus and if, um, everybody who has faith in God you know, from the time of Jesus in his sacrifice at the cross, we all have salvation through, through the son of God. Now, um, but this special group of people at the end of time is, is um, something special. If you go to Revelation 14, um, and I'll read really quick. Um, and it says in verse one, and I looked and lo, um, a lamb stood on Mount Sinai with 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. So not 
just literally a you know, father's name written in their foreheads, um, in their foreheads, meaning their mind. They have the father's name, which is his character. They reflect the character of God. And so this is a very special group of people because they are perfectly reflecting God's character at the end of time, showing the world who God really is in the darkest hour. Now, if you look um, down the next few verses, it describes how you know holy these people are. Um, and it says they sang a new song. Um, and it says in verse four, you know, they are not defiled with women for they are virgins. I think this is more spiritually speaking, you know, that they are not, um, they're pure. They're speaking of their purity and they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from among men being the first fruits of unto God and to the lamb. So these are God's first fruits. These are God's most special group because they fully <laughs> reflect God's character at the end of time when the mark of the beast is going on. And again, you see this um, later on in the chapter where it says um, in verse 16, or I'll say uh, verse 15, it says, and another angel came out of the temple cry, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. So it's like a sickle, like when you um, reap in a harvest uh, for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust his sickle in the earth and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven and having also a sharp sickle. Um, and it says um, in verse 18, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Um, so basically there's um, at the end of time, there's going to be two groups, the 144,000 and the wicked. And these are going to be the most wicked people who, you know, take the mark of the beast. And then there's going to be God's most holy people, the 144,000. And so these are the, um, the first fruits and those that, you know, reject God's way and choose the mark of the beast. Once they've chosen it they're that's it. They're done. They, they will not repent of it. But those who choose God in this most <laughs> difficult, you know, troublous times, um, are God's first fruit. And, um, they have an outpouring of the Holy spirit on them like no other. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. Um, Matthew 24, 14. So these people, you know, they take the world by storm in pro, pro, um, proclaiming the gospel, and everybody knows, you know, the truth of, of God's word or the truth of the gospel, and they've either chosen it or they denied it. Um, and those last people in, on the earth, um, the 144,000, are these um this first fruit. And, um, they have that latter rain, that outpouring of the Holy spirit that happens just before the coming, um, of Jesus is my understanding. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, very good. Wow. Yeah, well. <laughs> you covered all, um, beautifully covered. I guess, uh, the, just a little bit of additional, deeper perspective I'd like to give yeah. is just like, what is the significance of rain and and just maybe how does that complement what what you were saying saying so uh where was the first time rain actually shows up in the bible and it, it's funny because it fits with what we're talking about today right right yeah noah's time yeah like so rain was not really ever a part of god's original plan mm. and so it's 
gradually rain miss or water misted up to the the ground and water plants that way after the flood now water rains down from heaven so i i think this yeah this concept of the latter rain and all this this is something that never would have happened before the fall without sin but yeah god has to compensate you know as as the world gets darker you're talking about right things are are harder for God's people we have to depend on him even more so and we need to now rely on water from heaven to sustain us we need this uh, Holy Spirit to really get us through those trials like the 144,000 cannot do what they do yeah exactly without the latter rain and then um, there's this interesting concept of this ladder if there's a ladder there's a former there's there's um, sort of this first round of rain and a second round. And if we look at Deuteronomy 11, starting at verse 10, God talks about this concept of, uh, of two rains. And so it talks about God saying that, you know, this land, talk about the, the promised land you're about to go into, is not like the land of Egypt, which Israelites were leaving. If you recall, in the land of Egypt, they had the Nile River, and the Nile River always supplied their needs. So they never had to pray for rain. They always could count on the Nile to be there to, for the most part, to provide for what they're trying to grow. But in Deuteronomy 11, verse 11 says, But the land into which you're about to cross, Israel, is a land of hills and valleys that drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord, your Lord God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. And it shall come that if you listen obediently to my commands, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. So what is God saying here? He's saying, without me taking care of you, you're going to starve. And, and their crops and everything that they grew in the, in the promised land was dependent on two rains. The early rain, which you plant the seeds in the soil and it started the seeds growing. Mm. And then you needed the late rain that gave it that big boost to then ripen the crops. Mm -hmm. And they needed both of those to happen to have a good, successful year. Amen. And I think it's, um, as you said, you know, you look at the Christian history, the early rain came right at Pentecost. That sort of got Christianity going. And then God's going to close us out with the later rain. And it's got to be even bigger, badder, I'd say, than than the early rain, right? Because we've got a big harvest to reap. Yeah, amen. But it also has, I think, a, a personal application too, where like, you, you know, even we talked about the verse in Genesis, you know, where it says the spirit of God is contending with the hearts of men. Like we all, to some degree, have the Holy Spirit in us unless we've utterly rejected it and, and it's left. So we all sort of have a, a little bit of initial 
all pouring a spirit or maybe we were, we we were made in the image of god in the character of god so well but that doesn't necessarily mean you have the holy spirit or not but the holy spirit is there to help us restore us to the image of god mm -hmm. to make us more kind more loving um you know all the all the fruits of the spirit is how god wants us to be we call the fruits of spirit because we don't have those abilities within ourselves love joy peace happiness right like oh. <laughs> we need the holy spirit to bear those fruits in us and so um and maybe a lot of us in our spiritual walk we have an encounter with christ right and we get reformed we're like bam like we get we feel really transformed maybe that you could say again that's maybe like the the early rain yeah but what's interesting is um john the baptist says i baptize with water but the one who comes after me will baptize with fire fire and and the apostles talk about um like paul i think he'll see he'll go places and they'll talk to people realize oh these people are all converts but he asks around like oh you guys aren't doing miracles you aren't speaking in tongues you aren't healing you aren't you know you don't have gifts of prophecy like you guys need the holy spirit and then they'll pray and call and bam they will get baptized now with they were baptized with water and then they'll get baptized with fire and this is something that a lot of Christian churches have lost sight of, I would say. Now, the Pentecostal movement, to their credit, has recognized the importance of this. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> and when John the Baptist says um, he'll baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Oh, there, mm -hmm. there you go. So he's not, you're not even left into doubt about what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. And that's Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16. Just FYI, yeah. if you want that for oh. your reference. I'm not just make enough stuff <laughs> i'm so glad because i know these things but i don't just like i always have to go search okay where was this <laughs> i do too <laughs> just... but yeah so, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no problem glad you glad you did and so yeah i mean that's basically my point is that you know we so the pentecostals to the credit yeah. emphasize the importance i would say of the latter reign of having this huge infusion of the Holy Spirit into a person and um, I think we would disagree with what they think it looks like um, but it is something that really we should all be eagerly praying for yeah. really and and in the Deuteronomy as we as we read right God says to, what's this key to getting the Holy Spirit or, or sorry to getting rain you know yeah. he said basically you have to uh, if you listen obediently to my commandments, so obey his commandments, to love the Lord the God and serve him with all your heart and your soul, and then he will give you rain. Mm -hmm. Amen. So we've got to love God. Amen. Mm -hmm. And I think too, and I wish I would have brought this up earlier. So in James 5, where it talks about the latter rain, the early and the latter rain, um, where we first mentioned it, Later on in the chapter, um, James uh, brings up the story of Elijah, um, and it says Eli mm. Elias, which is Elijah, was a man subject to like, like passions, just the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, it's the same name, just with a different accent, just like Juan and John are the same name, just in a different language. Um, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Kind of interesting. Three and a half years, um, like Bible prophecy, <laughs> right? Amazing. 
right? God's awesome. Oh, his word is amazing. And then verse 18 says, and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. So it is by prayer. Jesus says, ask for the spirit. He's Jesus says, ask for the Holy Spirit and God will give it freely. Um, that we have to be asking for it and we have to be praying. And, you know, just like the early apostles, you know, they prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says when, when they were all in one accord and, you know, when they basically, they put away sin, they put away differences with, you know, with, within each other, <laughs> how wonderful would it be if Christians actually got together, prayed, put aside their differences, humbled themselves, asked for forgiveness of how they've hurt people. You know, that's really what God's looking for is a people humble and pray, mm -hmm. praying and, you know, wanting God's spirit, wanting God's will for their lives and, you know, to outpour his spirit, to show the character of God, which is character of love. And I think that that's sometimes the hardest part of this whole thing is us to recognize like, hey, I am a messed up sinner. I, <laughs> I need God. I need his Holy Spirit. And the only way I'm going to be, you know, reflecting that spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, long suffering, you know, temperance, all those things is only if I ask God to put his spirit in me so that the fruit of that, you know, will be the result. Otherwise, you know, it's just the works of um, righteous, our own self-righteousness and our righteousness is as filthy rags. Um, whereas, you know, Christ's righteousness is something, you know, worth holding on to. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that that's so important. Um, like you're saying, how do we get that Holy Spirit? It's, you know, definitely we have to be walking in obedience to God um, because if we, um, he who has sinned, God doesn't hear his prayer. You know, like if we, um, hold on to iniquity, we can't expect God to hear us. But if, you know, we come to God saying, God, I'm a sinner, you know, forgive me, help me, change me. You know, I repent of my sins. God will listen to that prayer every time. Um, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we ask for the Holy Spirit, God will freely give it to us. But again, we have to be getting our hearts ready and um, be people of prayer and uh, people of prayer should be people of action and they should be acting like Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's a beautiful note to wrap up on. Although it looks like you have another, uh, another verse you're looking for. Well, let's just uh, pull it up because uh, some of those verses where Jesus says like, you know, ask and receive and, and things like that. I think it, it directly follows with, and then you will get the Holy Spirit. Like it's especially in the context of the Holy Spirit that some of these verses are about asking for gifts. Oh, I think it's a, it's a one about, you know, their father, you know. Yes, Luke eleven thirteen. Do you want to read that? Luke eleven thirteen. If, if, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Amen. God is good. <laughs> Why God <laughs> gives us his Holy Spirit, I don't know. And just to all really the quick... time. <laughs> God is because good. we need it. We're hopeless without it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's fine. That. Um, one quick thing about God's Holy Spirit, how important it is. Um, there was something that a friend told me. I, I didn't come up with this, so I can't take any credit whatsoever. Um, but somebody brought this up with me or to me in second Corinthians one and it says who hath also sealed us 
So God seals us as his people and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. So not only did God give us his son for our salvation, but he gave us the spirit as an earnest. An earnest is a down payment. So in a or sense, deposit. Yeah, a deposit, right? You give an earnest for your house. Like you have to give a deposit so that the people know that you're good for the big pick, you know, for the, you know, the whole thing. So God's saying, look, I'm giving you salvation through my son, Jesus Christ. He paid for your salvation. It is yours for the asking. And just to prove to you, if I haven't proven it enough by giving you my son, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit as a down payment. Like how good of a God do we have to give us these amazing gifts? Um, and so that's why, you know, the latter rain, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is so important. People need to know, they need to see God's spirit living in his people to, you know, to see that, Hey, there's something to this. This is a, you know, a, um, you know, this down payment there's, there's, um, we can take this to the bank. You know, we have no reason to doubt God's love for us and, and, you know, our salvation because God's given us his spirit. And, um, even though we, you know, we don't get to see Jesus now, we can definitely see the, the, the fruit of the Holy spirit in us as we ask for it. And as we allow God to live in our hearts and our lives. Amen. That's uh, so beautiful. It's exactly true. And, and yeah, if you think about it, it is, it's sort of that our dependence on the Holy spirit mm -hmm. that sort of makes us fit for heaven now. Yes. And then when we get to heaven or, or, you know, and are in the new earth, hopefully by that point, our character is such that, we don't have to depend on so much. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe we'll continue to have a, a, a an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, but I still think, you know, sort of like how the rain only existed after the sin and after the flood. I think it's, we have a very unique relationship right now with the Holy Spirit that we might not have ever again. Yeah. And remember when Jesus said, I go to heaven now, don't worry about it because you're going to, I'm going to send a comforter and Jesus makes it sound like you're going to have something even better than me being physically present with you. The Holy spirit now is going to be with you. Yeah. And now it's, God's not just a person that we can interact with outside of us, but now God is actually in us. So now we get to us abiding in God and God literally abiding in us. Yeah, exactly. And this is, that's kind of interesting. Like, that's like the mystery of God. Um, isn't that Colossians 1? Oh, I, I like where you go with this. You know what Christ. I'm saying? Um, yeah. Am I not mistaken? Colossians 1. Sorry. Let me look really quick. I'm sorry. I don't have every verse memorized, but I do love the Bible. But I know it's Colossians 1. <laughs> 127. 27. Thank you. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, you know, how does Christ dwell in our hearts, you know, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And again, if that latter rain um, is, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that means everybody's going to see the God spirit living in us and it's going to catch like wildfire. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And, and really it's like the, you, we use the word grace often as Christians, to just, to just talk about how God will forgive our sins, so therefore we could do anything and everything we want, right? God's grace will cover it all. I mean, it, it's true, like, no matter what we do, God is willing to forgive it if we repent. Mm -hmm. But there is another grace 
Mm-hmm. We're told about the grace of the Holy Spirit, you know, and 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 its ministry, where not only does God forgive us of our sins, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, He's causing us to live by God's laws and to overcome sin. So Jeremiah, right? Um, uh, there's a verse in Titus chapter two, verse. Um, 11 for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world so Mm. yes absolutely that grace from god is you know it's not a ticket to sin or license to do whatever we feel like because god's just going to forgive us but rather it's the power of god living in us to overcome sin in this present and wicked world um, which is pretty amazing. And what's it, what's interesting there too is that this this it, the, it is by the Spirit living in us, mm-hmm. dwelling in us, that we overcome these sins. It's not by our own strength. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> it's Absolutely. it's it's us working with the Spirit that's dwelling in us, inviting the Spirit to dwell in us, and working with that Spirit. Mm-hmm to overcome sin. You know, what's so interesting. Um, something just popped in my head when you said that, you know, when you think of God's law, the 10 commandments, um, it's a bunch of thou shalt not in a sense, Mm -hmm. but in a way it's like, God's just saying, just rest, just stop and let me, (laughs) you know, have no other gods before me. So if we're not worshiping other gods by default, you know, as we're allowing God, in our hearts, we're just only going to worship God, you know, by mm-hmm. not murdering, <laughs> by not stealing, we're going to allow God to do good things in us and through us by just refraining, just stopping, uh, resting from the evil works of, you know, of this world, you know, as we just, we just don't do things, God, by default, as we just allow God to live in us, um, can't help but, you know, allow those fruits of the spirit to, to work in us because the sin isn't, um, separating us from God, like it says in Isaiah. And it's just kind of like surrendering yeah. Yeah. those things. Mm-hmm. And I got a good God. verse in that ties us together, including with the latter rain. Oh, go for it. So Ezekiel 36, 25. And this is one of my favorite verses. And in, and to me, when people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament and New Testament are two totally different gods. No, no. What we're about to read, this is New Testament theology, but it's in the Old Testament. And so Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. So yeah, water, also cleansing. Mm -hmm. Boy, in SoCal, we definitely see how much just rain can clean things up. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will will I put within you, and I will take away your stone, your stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. How much in that whole sentence that we just read involves us doing something? This is God speaking, by the way. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in you, and I will take away the stony heart of flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. So, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. 
and you shall dwell in the land that I give you to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. But it's God is doing mm -hmm. so much of the work to help make us keep his law. Mm -hmm. We can't do it on our own. And the Israelites, why did they keep failing so much? Because they kept thinking they could do it themselves. Amen. Yeah. yeah, that's that's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, how how much we're taught to to be good by our own control, to you know control our emotions, control our feelings, control everything, and God just says, "No, just surrender it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to control it. Just surrender it to me, and let me come in, let my spirit come in, and take control of the situation." Amen. And yeah, just like Jesus says, um, John 15, uh, he, he says, abide in me and I in you. Uh, Cause that's, mm -hmm. he's like, cause of your own self, you can do nothing. <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> that means you can do nothing. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, but, but then of course I, uh, whenever I think of that verse, I, my mind always goes to Philippians 4, 13 that says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So exactly. as much as my own self, I can do absolutely nothing, but anything is possible if Christ is working in you, um, which is such a beautiful message of hope. Um, and I just think, you know, you know, we don't see that enough because we don't believe it enough. Um, mm -hmm. But if we take it by faith and put it into practice, um, we can see amazing things in our lives. Amen. Amen. On that note, we probably should wrap up. It's been uh, a full couple of hours here. So, do we have any final questions, comments? I don't think so. Uh, Nancy has a comment about the 144,000. There's biblical support also that the 144,000 is a symbolic number that represents a large multitude of people, not that only 144,000 people will be righteous enough in the end to make it through that time. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Definitely. Um, I don't, and there's always that debate is 144,000 literal symbolic. Everything in revelation symbolic. <laughs> so <laughs> Just about. I'm not super like it's yeah. 144,000 on the money. I mean, and it, the thing is too, if you read like the 12 tribes, um, obviously not a literal, it's not literally those 12 tribes of Israel. I don't think because, yeah. um, a lot of those people are, and maybe this is a good time to plug our previous video from, I think, was it December four? It was like a, oh, a month ago. We yeah. actually discussed that very topic. Yes, You're right. So. Yeah. So yeah. Re watch all our shows and keep watching. We have more to come. Yes. And drop your questions, uh, either in the chat here or, um, go on to Bible Ask and submit them there. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to answer your questions. So, and share this, invite people. Um, when you get the link or, you know, something comes up with somebody that you're talking to and you're like, hey, you know what? This is a great program and it will be a blessing to you. Share it with them and let them know about it. Encourage them to, to tune in and join us and ask their questions so we can have more to answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. These this. are great questions. They're deep. Yes. yes. And we enjoy it so much that we, you know, we stay on for over two hours just to answer them and hang out. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I hope, so, hope yeah. you enjoyed. <laughs>
exactly. it's good. Yeah, we don't we don't want to we don't want to bore our listeners, but we you know we enjoy it. We like talking about these things. So if you like hearing about it, you know, put them out here for us, and and we'll do it. Yes. Are we able to tell people when next time is? Yeah, uh, I believe two weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is it two weeks, or yeah. is it sooner than that? Um, let's see if our producer is gonna message anything <laughs> <laughs> or next yeah, week they, that's what i was thinking i thought we were moving to, to weekly now because <laughs> uh, we get enough questions i guess <laughs> uh, i don't think it's a matter of questions we get quite a bit of questions but i think that's it's just true. a matter of um uh getting uh just having the time to do it all logistics uh, yeah lo exactly logistics and and all that good stuff so um I know our plan is to go to weekly um, uh, episodes, but for now, I think we're still at the bi-weekly. But if we change that, we will definitely be posting that on our website and our Facebook page and every other uh, media outlet. What, what Tina's saying is tune into the Facebook page for an update and we'll announce. <laughs> look, Follow follow the page. <laughs> look look at the blast. message. It says uh, January 8th, 6 p.m. is the next oh, one. So. There you go. Okay, so next week, we're down. We're doing weekly now. Yeah, I think maybe because of the holidays, we were, I know for sure we definitely needed to take Christmas off. So, um, yeah. but, you know, starting next we'll be week. Because right, of my eye. See my red. It's very red. But it's getting better. doesn't even show up right in there. It's all good. I didn't even notice. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I see the white in there. Very good. He had so, eye surgery, oh, but he's getting so, better. Amen. Thank God. He's so merciful. Um, so the Lord. I was going to say, do you mind if we wrap up with a quick prayer? And um, yeah, let's 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 end with with prayer. Please. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much. You're such a good God. And as we read your word and we think about your beautiful promises and these beautiful stories and just the hope of salvation and the gospel, God, there is nothing you wouldn't do to save us. And Lord, you, we thank you so much for giving us your son. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit now on your people. And we pray, Father, for revival and reformation among your people, Father, throughout all the earth. And we pray that your gospel will go forward so that um, you will bring forth your first fruits um, of your people, your last day people, Lord, so that we can go home and be with you forever, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, Fill our hearts with your love so that we can share um, your goodness with those around us, Father, to everyone. And we just pray, Father, for the next episode that um, our friends will join us again and that we will um, just be blessed by your word. We pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So tune in next week. We're doing this weekly, January 8th. Yes. And we'll hope to see you guys then. Yay. Yes. Great. Thank you for everybody joining us. Thank you, Nancy, Samira. Thank you, Justinia. We miss you. Michael, Landon, Bill. Michael. <laughs> and uh, Murray. And finally, I know where we had a Michael. Another Michael. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.